Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day we've had uh, to go out into your nature and uh, enjoy it, Lord, and that we can uh, be ministered to through that, Lord, and draw closer to you and get to know one another as well, Lord. I I, uh, just thank you for that time. I pray now, Father, that your spirit would guide us, guide our words. Um, Even though this is not normally how we do it, Lord, we ask that you would bring it together just how you need it to be and how we need it to be for our own hearts here, Lord. And so we ask that your blessing be upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about the frontal lobe this week, right? What is the frontal lobe um, in terms of its function? Morality. Morality. Spirituality. What's that? Judgment, right? And decision making, right? So uh, we didn't want to leave you guys without uh, knowing how to strengthen the frontal lobe, right? We've talked about some things, but we're going to get into how to strengthen the frontal lobe. So we're making better spiritual choices and strengthening the will and all these kinds of things. But before we do that, remember I was talking about um, bread, and I told you I'd tell you about the different portions of the bread. So I, I pulled up those slides, and here they are. Uh, this is white bread versus wheat bread, okay? These are some interesting things. The flour for both is made from wheat berries, which have three nutrient-rich parts. The bran, it's the outer layer, the germ, the innermost area, and the endosperm, the starchy part in between. Which one do you think uh, white bread is left with? What's that? The starchy part, right? The endosperm. And that's exactly right. You got it. Uh, The first two are removed, given to the pigs, and then sometimes they're given to us too. We can throw it in. You know, you get wheat and, um, or what's it called? Wheat germ. Thank you. Or sometimes bran people throw in. But uh, remember what we said, what God has put together, let no man put asunder, right? (laughs) And so it works out perfectly the way it is, right? Anyway, so those are the three parts. But here's some more interesting information about it. Whole wheat is processed to include all three nutritious parts, but white flour only uses the endosperm. When put head-to-head with whole wheat bread, white is is a nutritional lightweight. Whole wheat is much higher in fiber, vitamins B6 and E, magnesium, zinc, folic acid, and chromium. In a 10-year Harvard study completed in 1994, men and women who ate high-fiber breads had fewer heart attacks and strokes than those whose tastes ran to bagels and baguettes. Isn't that interesting? So, um, had fewer heart attacks and strokes. Simply switching from white to whole wheat bread can lower heart disease risk by 20%. According to research from the University of Washington reported in April 2, 2003, issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association. Isn't that interesting? 20% decrease in your risk um, of, of heart disease just because you switch from white bread to wheat bread. When flour is refined, it loses the most nutritious parts of the grain, the fiber, 
essential fatty acids, remember we said those are good, the omega-3s, and most of the vitamins and minerals. In fact, about 30 nutrients are removed, but by law, only five must be added back. Only five. They call it enriched flour, right? But only five are added back. Um, though others often are iron, niacin, thiamine, riboflavin, and folic acid. There's so little fiber left after processing that you'd have to eat eight pieces of white bread to get the fiber in just one piece of whole wheat bread. Remember what we were talking about that uh, you keep wanting to eat because you're not satisfied? So you're getting all the calories, but you're not getting satisfied because you're not getting all the nutrients you need. So, um, like we said, whole grains, that was the thing that we added. But remember this phrase? Now we realize that um, when, we're, when we just switch from white bread to wheat bread, 20% less heart disease. So uh, this becomes even more relevant. The whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was just to add in. I guess I didn't add it in the other day, and I just wanted to let you guys know about that. Now we're going to learn how to strengthen the frontal lobe, or the will, I should say. First thing, practice deciding things. Uh, make up your mind positively immediately after you have weighed the facts and stick to it, willing only to change when sufficient facts outweigh the decision. So practice deciding things, right? Uh, it's the best way to strengthen your will because, and it says to stick to it. We're in such um, a way nowadays that we can't even stick to contracts anymore, can we? We can get ourselves out of those as well. But it's so good to um, decide this is what I'm going to do, this is the plan, and just follow through with it. And you'll, you'll see that your, um, your will is strengthened. Also, it's been said that successful people actually write down their life goals. And those that aren't successful never write them down. So um, it's good to write things down and follow through with it. So just something to, to encourage us with. Another thing we do, uh, besides practice deciding things, complete each job before you begin another. It's a good way to strengthen the will because so many times uh, we call ourselves, what, what's that word that we call ourselves? Huh? Procrastinators, but also multitaskers <laughs> and especially women we pride ourselves in the fact that we multitask right but sometimes we do so many things just a little bit and then never get anything done right so it's better to um, decide I'm gonna get this done and you know we did say on your list of 10 things to write long-term goals so it's not like you could put everything else off in life and then get that goal done and that's it no but there's things in the day you know um, literally around the house sometimes when we're trying to get ready to go someplace I'll walk around the house and remember oh yeah I got to do that and then I start doing it and then I walk somewhere oh yeah I got to do that one too and then next thing I know I'm just doing a bunch of things and then Chad's like did you did you do this and I was like oh yeah I was just there doing that and then I got over here and but when I stick to my list and I decide I'm gonna finish this thing and when I'm done with it I'll move on to the next one you feel a lot better because then you go back to your list at the end of the day and you're like checking, whoa, I got that done, I got that done, I got that done, instead of just a little bit of everything else. All right, three, 
Roll out of bed as soon as you awaken after planned hours of sleep. Make the decision the night before and stick to it in the morning. All right, for some of us, that's tough. Uh, for the Kyles, I don't think it's as tough. <laughs> they, <laughs> the reason I say that is because they have to drive away just like we do uh, in, the morn in the evenings. And then once they're there, they chit chat with the people they're staying with. So they stay up later and then they have to get up early because there's one bathroom for all of them. And then they have to be here in the morning to speak at 7 a.m. So God bless you guys. Um, so it's, to me, I'm saying it's not as hard for them, you know. Um, but we've been a little under the weather lately and we keep saying, okay, we're going to make it here in the morning for your thing. But same thing with us. We sit and chit chat with the people we're staying with <laughs> and don't get up and feel awful in the morning. Anyway, um, so <laughs> all that aside... Uh, it's so important that we make a plan. I had a friend who was so determined to do this, um, get up really early in the morning, have her devotions, and so she'd get up like maybe three in the morning and, and start having her devotions, and then the rest of the day she'd just be so tired, and, and then you're drowsy, and, and then you're more likely to fall into temptation because you're so overzealous you want to do everything for the Lord, right? But it Notice it said, make the decision the night before, or it says, um, planned hours of sleep. So don't go to sleep at midnight and then think, I'm going to get up three, four in the morning to spend time with the Lord and think it's going to be productive. It's not. You know, and a lot of times, you know, we read things like Jesus spent all night in, in prayer and stuff, and then we want to do the same thing, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think he did it all the time. And another thing is, in the Middle East, the sun's very consistent. It goes down at 6, and it comes up at 6. And so guess what? They didn't burn the midnight oil, right? They, they got to bed pretty early so that they could wake up a long time before the light came out, right? But we burn the midnight oil, and then we have this zeal, this zeal to like, I got to get up like Jesus did. But then you didn't go to sleep like Jesus did either. You know what I mean? And so we have to be... Um, balance in how we do this we beat ourselves up and then we fall into temptation and we wonder why can't I do it like like that you know and we have these high expectations but we're not working with our bodies so it's important you know make that plan I'm gonna you know sleep this many hours I'm gonna wake this when Chad first went to mission college uh when when we were there he went to bed every night at f nine and got up at five he had never done that prior to being at mission college never he used to eat uh, macaroni and cheese every night at 11 p.m. with Tabasco sauce with each spoonful. And uh, anyway, I'll let him tell you that if he wants. But anyway, he, that was his life. That was his life. But when he came to Mission College, just totally turned on its head, not, you know, nine at night, five in the morning. And he said he just felt the best ever. And I just want to encourage you guys to make that kind of choice and stick to it. All right. Read deeply and thoughtfully and stretch your mind to understand and retain what you read. Remember the frontal lobe? A lot of the stories we told you, remember like Nurse Patricia? She lost her interest in reading after she had the frontal lobotomy. Remember that? And uh, it's important that we strengthen the frontal lobe by thinking about what we're reading. Being very thoughtful, not just reading our devotions in the morning and, oh, I got my devotions in. I read my whatever I had to read and I'm done. 
but instead you want to be thoughtful because you're really exercising the mind. Remember, it takes a lot of energy to do that, to use that frontal lobe, but it's good to, to read deeply and thoughtfully and stretch your mind to understand and retain what you read. Five, the will is strengthened by exercise. Take time to separate from indulgences. Uh, normally, if we've been doing this a whole week, people have been um, on a fast, on a modified fast. And so I encourage you, if you want to try this when you get home, do that and you're strengthening your will by abstaining from certain things during the week. And by that you decide, okay, I'm not going to eat this this week. And you're strengthening the will by doing that. Or what, whatever it is, you can think of what indulgence you're going to stay away from for that week and it'll really strengthen your will. All right, six, practice healthful eating and exercise habits that will really strengthen. Remember, we've been talking all about what exercise does for the, for the brain and how your cognitive function, functioning increases um, and just all the different kinds of foods that work better for the brain, right? Um, there's there's uh, foods that are empty calories that just spike your blood sugar and then you go for a nosedive and your brain doesn't work as well when, you know, it gets sluggish and slow. So, um, yeah, practice healthful eating and exercise habits. Seven, ask God to strengthen your will above all, right? Ask him to strengthen your will. So these are the seven things um, that we encourage you. I'm sure there's more of how to strengthen the will, but these are the seven that that we encourage people to do. All right. With that said, Chad's going to come up and continue the talk for us. Get the clicker from you. Am I on? Okay. All right. <clears throat> well, um, what I'm going to share with you about is meditation, the biblical form. Now, there is Eastern meditation, and then there's biblical meditation. East. The fascinating thing about, I won't go into all the science of it, but Eastern meditation and biblical meditation, Eastern meditation, what you do is you basically stop thinking. You think about your belly button, or you think about an apple, but you don't really think about the apple, you just think apple, <laughs> apple, and you just keep thinking that. Or, and now people have brought that into the church, and so they've, they've done this, and they, they, instead, of, you know, instead of saying apple or belly button, what you do is you just say Jesus, Jesus, for half an hour straight. And your mind shuts down. And now this is not biblical meditation, I want to assure you. What they've discovered, though, scientifically, is that both forms of meditation, or the one they call relaxation techniques or these kind of things, that both of them, prayer and, uh, and this Easter meditation, both of them scientifically will give you a form of, of peace for a time. But what they've actually discovered is that the form that is taken under relaxation techniques actually brings back the hormones, the stress hormones. Because think about this. If I choose to think about nothing for half an hour, am I going to be stressed? What would I be stressed about? I'm not thinking, right? If you're not thinking, you're not going to be stressed. But then when you stop, stop thinking, you're going to start thinking again, and you're going to get stressed, right? And so, yes, it works for a time to shut down your brain, but the reality is the biblical form, they have actually discovered, they've actually done tests that through the prayer, through, but they, different kinds of prayer they talked about, but the one that actually worked the best was praying to God as to a friend. They call it colloquial prayer. Meaning, praying to God is to a friend. And that's the way God wants us to communicate with Him, right? To speak to Him, not just rote prayers or memorized prayers and all these things, but rather praying to God is to a friend. And now, meditation in the biblical sense, in the book of 
Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Let this book, that, that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Now, God is talking to Joshua as he was about to lead God's people into the promised land. He told him to meditate on the word of God how often? Day and night. He said, if you do this, you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Now, I don't believe he meant like you'll get a lot of money and you'll be famous, although he was famous, right? But the reality is he would be prosperous and successful in what God called him to do in this life. So he says, listen, if you meditate on God's word day and night, you will be prosperous in your spiritual life. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, so basically, as I was studying this out one day, I was looking at that word Haggah. I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance. I'm no, you know, Hebrew theologian or something like this. I don't know languages. I know English. I'm, you know, know that a little bit. But nevertheless, so Haggah is is the word that is used in the Hebrew there for meditate or daga. And the word is what's called an onomatopoeia, which means it is a word that sounds like the thing which it is describing. Now. I'll give you an example. Like if I throw a spoon at the wall and we say it makes a noise like boing, right? Now boing is like an onomatopoeia. It, it kind of sounds like what it sounds like when a spoon hits the wall or whatever, right? I mean, not exactly, but you, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Does that make a little sense? Okay, nevertheless. Well, haga, haga is a word that supposedly sounds like what, it is, what it's like when the Hebrews were meditating. Haga. Now, why would it sound like that? Because the Hebrews, when they would meditate, they would think so much that they would begin to start coming out of their mouth. Have you ever done that before? You think so much about something that you actually start talking out loud. Anybody ever done that? I have, I'm going to tell you. Maybe you haven't, but I have. And so, you know, sometimes I'm thinking about something so much that it actually comes out of my mouth. And the Jews seemed to have that. As they were thinking, they were actually beginning to speak some of the things that they were thinking about. Now, one, this, one of the actual defini definitions of Haggah is obviously the word meditate. That's the word that it's describing there in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. To meditate on the word. Now, what does it mean to meditate? It means to think diligently upon, not to just, oh, you know, I read the page. I'm sure you've been like me a time or two where you've read a whole page, and then at the end of the page you think, what did I just read? I don't have a clue what I just read, right? Now, is that meditation, yes or no? That's a little closer to Eastern meditation, right? Like, you're not paying attention to anything, right? And so, no, that's not the biblical form of meditation. Meditation is where you are actually thinking about what you're reading, right? And you're asking yourself questions. What does this mean? What is the main point of this passage? How does it apply my life? And as you're doing that, you are meditating on the Word of God. Another definition of that word, Haggah, and I will encourage you, if you study the Bible with this simple method of what the Hebrew word of Haggah means, if you just look it up in the, in the concordance, now, the Jews were very, they were sticklers. They knew the Bible so well that they could quote, literally, many of them could quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. And there were another group of people called Tana, and and these men were professional memorizers. These men would have the whole Old Testament memorized. They actually had in the Hebrew universities there, they would have a student, they would have these guys that would actually pay them, and they would be living concordances. Meaning the professor would be in the room, and he would say to the Tena, was the guy's name, uh, they would, this description of him, and they would say, would you please tell us about what happened when Jeremiah did this? And he would, boom, just verbatim quote exactly that passage from anywhere in the Old Testament immediately, just like this. They were living concordances. So the Hebrews were so big into memorization, and this word Haggah has to do with speaking. 
Now, one of the actual definitions of Haggah is to meditate. One of the definitions is not specific. I added this one in for free. It's not really one of the definitions, but memorize. So to take the texts of Scripture and to apply them so much to your, you know, that you know them so well that it's literally coming out of your mouth. That you actually know the text and you can think about it when you are not around the Scriptures. Let me ask you a question. God said to Joshua, this is Joshua 1 verse 8, that you are to meditate on the word day and night. Do you think Joshua walked around with the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? He walked around at all times and he was, you know, kind of checking out the, the text there of, of the first five books of the Bible. Yes or no? How do you think he could meditate on it day and night? He was actually internalizing the word of God so much so that he would have it memorized, especially as, as a leader of Israel, right? And so here he was, they would take this very seriously. So if you will take time to meditate on the word, not just, just read it over, there are times where you do an uh, overview of something, but in general we want to be meditating upon the word, even taking time to memorize some passages of scripture, especially promises that are so key to your spiritual life and your spiritual strength. Number three, this is an actual definition. These two, M and I, are, are both definitions of the word Haggah in the Hebrew. Imagine. Sometimes, you know, this might scare some people. Oh, you don't want to imagine things? Well, listen, God made us with minds to imagine. Do you believe that? Listen, I mean, you wouldn't be able to accomplish any real, uh, like if you were, a con you know, into construction, without imagination, could you really do anything? No, I mean, there's a good form of imagination, but then there's bad imagination when you imagine evil things, right? But the reality is, as you read in the book, uh, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, the very first page, she talks about, imagine what it would be like. Imagine yourself there, sitting at the Mount, listening to Jesus share, you know, basically the Beatitudes and so forth, the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Imagine sitting there on the green grass and experiencing it and what it means to you. Now, when we're reading the Word of God, you're probably better off than I was. I never read as a child. I could hardly read when I was in high school. I mean, I, I literally, like, I just never did it. It wasn't that I didn't, like, didn't have the ability. It's that I'd never practiced. I just never read. And so when I, when they'd ask me to read in class and I could hardly read. It was like, then he, and now you think, man, that guy just doesn't know how to read. I didn't know how to read very well. Why? Because I didn't take any time. And so once you start doing something, once you, so for me though, then when I started reading, because I'd watch so much television, movies, and video games, that when I would read, I didn't imagine anything I was reading. They were just words to me, just words on paper. So to actually meditate according to the biblical standard to imagine, I actually have had to make a determined effort to imagine what's taking place. Because to me, it's, they were just words. But as I actually made the effort to imagine what it would be like to be there, to think about the experience, to see uh, what, what Jesus was seeing or to see what the disciples were seeing or to just see the disciples doing the things they're doing, it begins to change your mind. But because by beholding we become changed, right? And as we're beholding these good things, we're being changed into the image of those good things. And that's why one of the reasons God's given us for the Bible. So as you're spending time in the Word, make sure that you're meditating. Make sure that you're imagining so that it becomes a realistic thing and not just dead black and white pages, right? Another definition, this is an actual definition of the word I got, is to study. So to also study as you're reading. So meaning, you may say, okay, what do I know about Iconium? Lystra, these cities that Paul... Now, how much do you know about Iconium? 
Probably very little, right? So if you go and look it up and you find out something, you're like, oh, that's what Paul would have dealt with. That's historically what was going on in Iconium. Paul would have seen that. He would have experienced these things. And as you do that, this becomes to be much more of a living picture than just some old dead pages, right? So study it. Find out what was going on there. Maybe look it up in a concordance or look it up in a, in, you know, whether it's the Adventist commentary or some of these old commentaries were fantastic, like Barnes and uh, who else? Matthew Henry. Some of these old commentaries are really phenomenal. They're generally not so doctrinal. They're just sharing about the text. It's generally very good. So meditate, imag- or memorize, imagine, study. And another definition of the word Haggah is to talk about. To literally talk about. Share with what you're studying, what you're reading about somebody. Share it with somebody else. Share it with your mom or your dad or your coworker or your friend or whoever, maybe somebody else who is interested in spiritual things. And when you share, when you implement, it seems so simple and it is, but when you just simply do these things with your Bible study, it begins to come to life. It really does. It becomes so much more than just, oh, I read a page, you know, because I'm supposed to do it. But when you're actually thinking upon it, it is literally changing your life. And you know what? I'm going to share with you something. This is something we generally share with our Overcoming Seminar. But what I'm going to share with you right now, I think is, um, we do share it a little bit in our Overcoming Seminar, but I'm going to share it a little more with you than I would with your average person. Bible memorization is something that the Adventist church used to be called, the people would look at the Adventist church and they called them the people of the, the word or the book, the people of the book, right? They were the people of the book. Why? Why do you think that was? Because they knew the Bible so very well that when people thought of Adventists, they thought those are the people of the book. Those are the people who know this book, right? And you know it's powerful too. A quick off the, ah, it's on the, it's on the subject. Um, we our, our documentaries that we make. There's a Muslim ministry who works with us, and we actually make them for Muslims also. Although the ones we have have worked just fine with Muslims, but they made different covers for them. And the Muslims, in the Quran, it talks about these people called the people of the book. And it's referring to those who actually believe the Bible. And this uh, sheikh, this head of a mosque in Australia, very popular, very yeah, known uh, sheikh in, in the Islamic faith or as a, a one group of the Islam, uh, this particular fellow, our friends went to see him and as they were studying and they were sharing with him, he had a dream. And one of the biggest ways that Muslims become Christian is through dreams. God comes to them and tells them, you need to follow Jesus Christ or they'll see the second coming in a dream. God uses dreams with them because just like, you know, uh, a lot of Middle Eastern dreams are big to the Middle Eastern people, just like they were to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, he has a dream and God, come, God tells him that the Seventh-day Adventists are the people of the book. And so he comes to our friends and he says, God's told me that you are the people of the book, that we can learn from you. And so he feels that his mission is to share with Islam about the Seventh-day Adventist church. And God has called us, he's raised up a people to be the people of the book. And the issue isn't whether our church is the people of the book, but the question is, are you and I the people of the book, right? It's not whether somebody else is in the church, like your pastor or somebody else. The question is, are you a person of the book, right? Is the word of God like to Joshua? Was it, was it dwelling in your heart? A simple way to memorize this is just the word mist. M-M-I-S-T. So mist. Meditate, memorize, imagine, study, and talk. The word of God is to dwell in us richly. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Word of God is to dwell in us richly. 
I read a story about a man by the name of Captain James Ray. He was taken captive. He was a captain on a ship in the United States uh, Navy, and he was taken captive into uh, Vietnam. He was put in the Hanoi Hilton. We call it that. It wasn't a Hilton, if you know. It was, it was a torture camp. That's basically what it was. But it took the name the Hanoi Hilton, or Heartbreak Hotel. And in this place, they would torture these men. I, I just read a testimony of a man who went through a living hell in this place. I mean, you cannot imagine what this 30 days lying in feces with bugs and, and just rats crawling over him and just, just, you know, just torture. I mean, horrendous what these guys had to go through. And at this particular man, James Ray, this is not the one, this is another story, but James Ray was this captain who was cast into the Hanoi Hilton. And he actually said these words. Where did I put it here? He was, as he was put into prison, he was struggling all alone in his solitary confinement. And as he's in this situation, he begins to hear, and someone is pounding on the wall, and he listens. And he starts to he starts to read and he hears one letter turn into two and two letters turn into three and those letters turn into a word and then those words turn into a sentence and someone tapped out in Morse code, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Psalms 21, 1 and 2. And as he heard that, you can imagine a man who is almost going insane in, in no human communication. The word of God is being tapped out to him. And then he listens a little bit closer and somebody else, he hears somebody else tapping out. And that person taps out Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you can imagine the heart of this man who is literally almost close to insanity with, with no human com communication. And the word of God is tapped through a wall to him and brings peace to his heart. And James Ray, after hearing these words, this is, this is a quote from James Ray. Captain James Ray said these words. Bible verses on paper aren't one iota as useful as scriptures burned into your mind where you can draw on them for guidance and comfort. Scriptures on paper are not one iota as, as useful as those scriptures that are burned into your mind, where you can call on them for guidance and comfort. And you say, well, the good news is I'm not in solitary confinement in the Hanoi Hilton, right? But the reality is this. We are not in that situation today. The reality is we can be, we could be very well in the future, right? Hopefully, hopefully the, the best option is that we'll be in the mountains at that time, right? Rather than being in prison. Some will be cast into prison, into dungeons. Other will be in the mountains, right? But think, either way, the reality is you may not be in that situation this week, but you will have trials this coming week. Is that true? They may not be grand in the scale of these great torment and lying in your filth for a month, but the reality is this. You will go through trials and words on paper are not one, as I, one iota as useful as those that are burned into your mind. Where you can call on them day by day today for guidance and comfort. The reality is this. I can say just from a personal testimony that probably... In my own spiritual life, that which has paid the greatest spiritual dividends of any other form of scripture intake for me 
has been those texts that I have memorized that when, when the trials come, when the temptation comes, that I've already put the effort into memorizing it and the Holy Spirit can shine that voice, uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit into my head and He uses it through Scripture. And right at the right time, God said to us, right? Isaiah 30, 21, Thine, eyes shall, or thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. And God has a way of doing that. His Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us, who guides us into all truth, right? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall guide you into all truth, right? That's what John 14, 26 says. The Comforter is going to guide you into all truth. We are told, we are told that we have to have the words of Scripture, that we've taken it seriously. I'll read you a quote very quickly. This is powerful. This is... It's from the Spirit of Prophecy, very simple, but it says this. It says, God will flash. God will flash the knowledge obtained by diligent searching of the Scriptures into their memory at the very time when it is needed. But if they neglect to fill their minds with the gems of truth, if they do not acquaint themselves with the words of Christ, if they have never tasted of the power of His grace in trial, then they cannot expect that the Holy Spirit will bring his words to their remembrance. That's heavy, don't you think? Meaning sometimes we just think like, oh, the Holy Spirit's just going to work a miracle. You know, just work a miracle and, and I don't really have to spend time with God in his word. I don't have to really dwell upon his word. But, you know, I, I went to church as a kid and God will just flash into my mind and I'll be super Christian at the end of time, right? Sometimes we hope that's going to happen. But the reality is, is God, we're going through trials day by day right now, right? We read that all trials that are, that are perceived as educators will produce joy. Meaning we're always going through some kind of even small trials, like we got to wait too long in line or whatever it is. But in all these situations, we can what? We can take joy in them. We can say, Father, praise the Lord. I have a, I have a few minutes and right now is a perfect time. I can, you know, pull my text out and I can start looking at my text. I got a text to go over, right? You know, I, I put a new one this week, you know. Uh, Christina shared a verse that I didn't know. I thought it was awesome. Uh, Hosea chapter uh, 13, verse 9, and I'm memorizing that right now. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help, right? And so now I'm, I'm walking on the path, and I can go over that today, right? And so I take the scriptures with me, and the reason why I found that text so beautiful, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Listen, all of us, the the emotional, the, the mental problems that we have, a lot of times, not always, sometimes you've been tormented by others. Myself, I have a lot of times brought these things upon myself. I've destroyed myself. I've chosen to have certain bad habits, but God says, look, you've destroyed yourself. But he says, but then we think, oh, I've destroyed myself, then I gotta fix myself, right? But that's not what he says. He says, but in me is your help. You've destroyed yourself, but listen, you can't fix yourself. You have to come to me. I'm the only one who can fix you, right? I thought, hey, that's a comfort to me. And I'm sure if I meet someone who's down and out, I can share Hosea 13, 9 with them. And it can be a comfort to them, right? So God is asking us, as he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, but sanctify. That means make holy. But sanctify, make holy the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of you with meekness and fear, or gentleness and respect. Meaning, we're always to have a reason to answer people. If they say, hey, why do you believe this? Why do you believe that? And you say, well, my parents always did, you know? Oh, my church believes that. Now, I know they know it's right, right? But that's not what it says. It says you are to always be ready to have an answer for the questions that people have for you. Now, I'm going to be real with you. 
People ask me questions from time to time that I don't have an answer to. Have you ever been asked a question about the Bible that you don't have an answer to? Or you don't know where the text is? You ever been there? If, and if you haven't, you probably just haven't talked to very many people, right? But if you talk to some people, they'll have questions you don't have answers to. And the reality is, that's great because you have to then what? Go find an answer. And I can say to them, you know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. But God says, listen, you need to have an answer. So I go search for an answer. Once I have an answer to that text, I'll give you a personal experience. I was studying with a Jehovah's Witness who actually became a Seventh-day Adventist but still did not believe in the divinity of Christ. So he was now a Seventh-day Adventist who still held to Jehovah's Witness perspective of the non-eternity non or eternality of Jesus, right? That he was created at some point in time, that he was not divine, he was not God. But he saw the Sabbath and he had to accept it, so he became a Seventh-day Adventist. So I asked him, I said, I've studied this issue a lot. Would you please study it with me? And he said, you know, I don't want to. I've already studied with people and nobody's been able to convince me. And I said, well, would you be willing to study with me? Because I knew that I had studied aspects that generally that people in general wouldn't know about it. So we, we studied it out. We sat down to study. And he had this, and I know because I've studied with Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a book called Reasoning from the Scriptures. With an, argue, with an answer to just about any objection you could ever bring to them. And he had the biggest book I'd ever seen in his lap when I came to his house. So my heart was like, I was nervous. Like, man, this guy's got something. He's got an answer for whatever I'm going to share. So we go through the Bible study. And I had studied out the issue to the point where I, in my estimation, I had answers to most of the questions that could be asked. But I knew there was one text in Scripture that I didn't have an answer to. And I knew it. I knew I didn't have an answer to that. But I had so many texts that, that the preponderance, the majority of texts were clear. They were so clear that I knew what, the truth on this issue. But one of them I just didn't have a good response to. And so as I'm going into the study, I'm praying. I'm like, oh, Father, please don't let him ask about that text. And so, you know, what happened was we go through the whole study and I knew there probably weren't going to be answers in his book for the text that I was sharing with him. And just so happened there weren't. And so we're studying it out, and, and I finally, we get to the conclusion, I say, so do you see that the Bible teaches that Jesus is Jehovah? And he was like this, it's kind of like, you know, someone just showed you that the Sabbath isn't true and you just can't deny it. It's like, it's not, you know, so you're like, okay, it seems to say that. So he like had that look in his face like, well, he said, it seems to say that. He said, but I just have one question. <laughs> and guess what that question was? It was the question about the only text I didn't have an answer for. And guess what? At that very moment, the Lord gave me the text, the answer, that answered that particular text that I didn't have an answer to. Now, why didn't I know 10 minutes before the answer to that text? I didn't need the answer. I had enough evidence to prove to me. This, you, you've heard the old, you know, probably Kenneth Cox or one of these old preachers from way back, the old story of the fence post down in maybe Montana. Like, you know, you got all the fence that goes on for, you know, 30 miles. I'm exaggerating, whatever. But you got this fence that goes on forever. And it's like a perfect straight fence. And, you know, there's thousands of posts. And then there's like two posts that are like a little bit cockeyed. And they don't really fit with the others, right? So then to, you know, let's just say one of them's off a little bit. This happens to be the case with this text, I thought. So what do I do? Well, you try to pick up all the other 10,000 posts and you try to line them up with that post, Right? No, you only take the one that doesn't fit and see how you can get it to easily fit with the rest, right? We do the same thing with Scripture. But the reality is, I didn't have an answer because I didn't need the answer. But since he needed the answer at that moment, the Holy Spirit could bring to my memory the answer to that text. And when I shared with him the answer, he said, okay, that makes sense. 
And he accepted it as a result of that. But the reality is if we're not spending time in God's word, he can't bring these things back to our mind. We can have answers. And in the difficult times, we are going to be swept away if we are not building our house upon the rock. And who is the rock? It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus is also called the word of God. If we are not building our house upon the word of God, we will be swept away during the times of difficulties. I want to encourage you to be in the Word. You know that Jesus, well, here, I'm going to give you quick, very quickly, I'm going to give you eight different reasons to memorize texts. Now, I know it's not always easy, and I'll even share with you quickly how to do it, maybe, but I'm going to give you eight very, uh, yeah, just some very quick reasons. Now, the very first one is this. Before I tell you what it is, I'll, I'll read actually what the simple point is. But Hebrew, or Deuteronomy, rather, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, say these words. They say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one Lord. And then it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And, the, and then it goes on to say, Now, and then remember, Jesus said that that's the most important commandment in the Bible, right? In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, some lawyer asked Jesus, hey, what's the great commandment in law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? So love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the most important commandment. In the very next verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, 5, 6, verse 6 says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. These words shall be where? In your heart. You know we say, I know that by what? heart. So think about this. The very first commandment in the Bible is to love God with all your heart. And Jesus says about that verse, he says, listen, he says, listen, these words, actually the text says rather, that these words are to be in your heart. So along with the connection of the most important command in all the scripture to love God with all your heart is that you should have those words in your heart. So the first reason to know, to know these texts is to get to know God so that you have his word in your heart. And as you have his word on your heart, you're growing in a deeper connection. So number one is to know God. Number two is to keep from sin. Psalms 119 verse 9 and 11, very popular verses. Does anybody know what those say? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So how's a young man going to cleanse his way? By paying attention, by taking heed to what? The word of God. And then it says in verse 11, thy word, God, your word have I what? Hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. So how is it that I'm going to keep from sin? It is I'm going to have your word stored in my heart. And could it be sometimes that when we're about to sin and we're not bringing his word from our heart, that that's why we fall into the sin? Because we're loving the sin more than we're loving the Word of God that we have stored up in our heart, right? So we're not dwelling on it. We're not seeking. We're not going to God and saying, Father, you said this. You said in your Word that you could give me victory. Father, you promised in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that you're going to make a way of escape. You, Father, told me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, that you can bring every one of my thoughts into captivity. Father, bring my thoughts into captivity. Help me get my mind off of these things. And so we take them not as a magic trick, but rather we are taking by faith God's Word and we're saying, Father, you bring this to pass. You change my heart and my mind. Number one is to know God. Number two is to keep from sin. Number three is kind of close to keeping from sin. It is to be cleansed from sin. The Bible tells us Jesus specifically said when he was talking about, uh, you know, my father is the husbandman. I am the vine. My father is the husbandman. He said in John chapter 15, verse 3, he said that now you, now ye are clean. 
through the word which I have spoken unto you. So how are we cleansed? We're cleansed by the word of God. So number three is to be cleansed, and we are cleansed by the word of God. Number four is for answered prayer. For answered prayer. John chapter 15, verse 7, the same passage says, And if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be given you. Now, that doesn't mean if you memorize text that God will just answer all your prayers the way you want. What it means is this, that as you are dwelling on God's word day and night and you're being changed by it and you're claiming his promises, that your mind will become in tune with what God's will is and your prayers will be in tune with him and your life will be changed and so he will be answering your prayers because they're right in tune with his will, right? Very simple. Number five, to know the message of the truth so that you actually know the truth. You have these texts memorized so that you have an answer for the faith that is in you. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, the Word of God says, it says, what's it say? Do I have it written here? Oh, yeah, it says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So it says, watch yourself and watch the doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, in the truth the doctrine. For in doing this, thou shalt both save yourself and those who hear you. 1 Timothy 4, 16. So it's Pay attention to the truth and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save yourself and those who hear you. So knowing the truth will both save you and it will save the people that you're sharing with. Sometimes we hate doctrine. But doctrine isn't meant to be a curse word. It's actually a blessing. Because doctrine reveals who God is. It's not just like you die, you wait in the grave. Saturday is holy, right? Well, what do those things mean? Doctrine is the living experience that you have, the teachings about the living experience with Jesus. So number five is to know the message of truth. Number six is for witnessing. Number six is so that you can be a witness. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17 and 18 say, Bow down your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart unto my knowledge. And then it says, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. If you keep the word, it's a pleasant thing if they're inside of you. That's what the Bible says. It's a blessing. You'll be happy if they're inside of you. And then it says, it's a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. And then it says, they shall with all be fitted in your lips. Meaning, when you have the word of God in your heart and in your mind, they'll be on the tip of your tongue. They'll be on your lips and they will be there at the right time for the right person in the right circumstances that God will bring it to your mind and they'll be right on the edge of your lips and it says it will be a pleasant thing. It'll be a blessing to have them inside of you. And I can testify of that. When you start taking the text and, and you memorize, and I want to be honest with you, I am by nature not very good at memorizing. I'm not. It's actually, it's actually kind of difficult. It was actually very difficult for me in the beginning, but it's gotten easier. And your brain, I, I, I wish I could go into the science behind it. It is so powerful that the brain is changed as you do this. But we don't have time to go in that. But the reality is you can strengthen your mind by God's grace by making a diligent, concerted effort on a regular basis to store up God's word and to bring them back in situations. God will strengthen your mind and transform your life. So for witnessing, number seven is that you'll be able to meditate them day and night, right? So how can you meditate on it day and night if you really don't have some of those texts in your head? And the more texts you get in your head, the more they come to be a, whole, a perfect, beautiful whole. And those texts begin to connect together like puzzle pieces and give you such a beautiful picture of who God is and who you are and his plan for your life. And the more of those texts, many times people say, young people especially, I don't know what to do in life. I don't know where God's calling me. 
But if we have his word and we're storing it up in our mind, he can teach us very easily to turn to the right hand and turn to the left. He can say, this is the way, walk ye in it. That voice can speak in the right situation. But when we're not storing it up, when we're not seeking first the kingdom of God, is it going to be easy to know what God's calling us to do? If we're not seeking first the kingdom of God, it is very difficult. And number eight is that the memorized Bible may be the only Bible that you have someday. The memorized Bible, I, I could tell you stories. I read a, I read a story. I just, just got done with a book a little bit ago called, what was it called? It was called, In the Presence of Mine Enemies. Another soldier who was taken into the Hanoi Hilton. And the, what basically kept him sane. He said, listen, he said, you don't understand what it's like. He went for five years in solitary confinement. Seven years in prison, five of those years in solitary confinement. He says, a man doesn't know what to do with himself. He says, very soon the brain tires of sitting in a dark room with gray walls and a dirt floor. He said, very, very, very quickly the brain starts playing. You, know, you don't even know what to do because you start going almost insane because you're so used to action. You're so used to change in life that when you go for years in this situation, he, he said the only thing he could do is he said he started thinking and he hadn't been living for God. The first prayer he had prayed in years it was as his prince plane was shot down he ejected from the plane and as he looked immediately after he was ejected he turned to look at the plane and it exploded right behind him it was shot by another missile and it exploded and he said father thank you for saving my life he now he's coming down in his parachute and you imagine coming down in the jungle and he landed in a city he landed in a city with people all standing there watching him. Grabbed him right there, threw him into prison. They caught him there. You know, they beat him. All kinds of terrible things happened. But nevertheless, as he's in solitary confinement, he said, it is amazing what one te text of Scripture can do to make a whole day bearable. And these scriptures were, these scriptures were being tapped out on the wall. They were literally risking their lives to tap texts out to, to each other. Just the text they had memorized from being children. And so that's all they had. They didn't have the Word of God with them. All they could take with them was what they learned in Sunday school as children. And for us, it's what we maybe learn in Sabbath school as children. Pastor Torres tells of a story of back, you know, I don't know that they do it much anymore, but they used to take those rafts across from Cuba. Maybe they still do it. Make a little makeshift raft and jump off of Cuba and try to make your way to the southern tip of Florida. And Pastor Torres went down to, he was working, he must have been working in Florida at the time, and he was, went down there. And he took some, you know, Santa Biblia. He took the Spanish Bibles down to the folks there. And they had these, you know, it's, you know, nice of America. We, you know, brought these people in and we put them in, we put them in barbed wire cages, you know. So we, and helping these folks out, we put them in the cages, you know. And so Pastor Torres comes to the place and, and they're in their barbed wire cages that we made for them. And, and they, you know, take the, the, Pastor comes with his Bibles. And he takes his Bibles and he, literally all he can do is throw them up over. Obviously not the, you know. I mean, what do you do? you got to get it over. So he throws these Bibles up over the fence, and this 80-year-old man jumps up, he grabs the Bible, and he puts it to his chest, and he just begins to rock back and forth. Hadn't had a Bible for years. For years. The only text he had were the text he had memorized in Sabbath school. That's all he had to take with him. But we live in a time, I don't know what the churches are like in Montana, but generally in Sabbath school we say, can someone please read the memory text? What? Can you say that again? Can someone please, what? Read the memory text, right? I mean, we all do that as if, and we act like it's normal every week, don't we? We act like that's the way it's meant to be, right? So, but think about it. Think about it. Could you imagine? I'm not saying, listen, I'm not getting all fanatical like, we're going to be taken over next week and, oh, it's going to be so dangerous. No, but the reality is this. What if you didn't have any texts? 
What if you just had John 3.16? Praise the Lord you got that, and you could dwell on that. But how much better would it be if you had a whole arsenal of text burned into your memory to call upon for guidance and comfort? Could you imagine what that would be like? In the trials, as the texts bring forth to your mind, and God is shining new light upon them in this new trial that you're dealing with. And God is bringing a text back to your mind. And listen, that may be way off in the future. It may not be. But that could be way off in the future. But what about this week? What about today? What about tomorrow when you come into a trying situation and you don't know what to do and then God is there and because you, because you made the diligent effort to take a text into your mind, God can bring that text to your mind and he can bring you peace. He can give you comfort and he can help you to turn away from your sin. Simple verse for guys, girls struggle with sometimes, lost too, but a good one is Psalms 101 verse 3. And it happens to rhyme in the King James Version. I have a little meter maybe. I don't know if it rhymes. Maybe. It says this. Psalms 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Psalm 101 verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Psalm 101 verse 3. So I got, you know, I, my eyes want to look at something bad and God flashes the verse into my head, right? I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes, right? Father, all right. And then it says, it shall not cleave to me, right? If I don't behold that, I'm not going to be changed by it. So if I'm turning away from it, I'm being changed because I'm beholding God's word rather than the things of this world. And so as we're storing up God's word, it is transforming us. Our brain is physically being changed, physically being changed. And we're being, being made new creatures because Jesus... Jesus memorized the scriptures. Do you think that's true? Have you ever thought about it? We'll close with this point, I think. A lot of times we think Jesus was who? God. It's true. He was. And he is. So if God came to this earth, how much do you think God would know about the Bible? Everything. As if he was three years old and he was going through the, you know, deep aspects of Ezekiel, Right? Do you think he was doing that at three years old? Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. What did I do with my Bible? There it is. Luke chapter 2. I want you to think about this. Jesus was fully God, and he became a human being. This is absolutely true. He put off some aspects of divinity for that time, but he was still fully God. I mean, the Bible tells us that in Philippians chapter 2, if you're wondering what I mean by that. But you can look that up later. Philippians 2 tells you about that, but we're looking at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and look at this is awesome, so simple. Now, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Word of God reads, And Jesus increased in what? Wisdom and stature and in favor with God and who? Now, let me ask you a question. How much wisdom does the Almighty God have? How much wisdom does He have? All wisdom. Now, what does it say about Jesus? And Jesus increased in what? If you knew everything, could you increase everything? Yes or no? You couldn't. Does the Father ever have to learn some new things? Yes or no? Is he ever like, man, that's great. I'd never thought about that, right? The Father doesn't do that because he knows everything, right? Did Jesus, though, learn things? Yes or no? Why did he? How is it possible that if he was God, he could learn new things? Because he became a what? He became a human. He became a baby. Literally, he became a baby. He became a human being. And as he was growing up, we are told, not by the scriptures, but we are told that Jesus learned the scriptures by the open scroll at his mother's knee. So here is the God who is speaking from Mount Sinai. 
who put off his omnipresence, put off his omniscience, put off his omnipotence, not that he couldn't have them, but he, he shrouded himself in humanity. And he had to learn the scriptures just like any other child in Israel. Just like any other child in the Seventh-day Adventist church. He had to learn the scriptures. Jesus learned the text. Think about this. Jesus, you know, you've probably heard. I mean, it's a beautiful thing we share it as Adventists. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How did Jesus respond to the temptations of the devil? With what? With the word of God. We've heard that. This is a popular kind of sermon in the Advent Church. That Jesus, he quoted scripture. But how did he get to know the scriptures? Oh, he was God. No, because he actually took the time. He took the time to prepare for the trials that lay ahead. He knew as a child that there would come in his life a time of trouble. A great time of trial for him. And he prepared for that time by storing up the word of God in your heart. Now, did Jesus, I want you to think about this. What did Jesus say? He said, it is written. The devil said, listen, why don't you command those stones to be made bread? But Jesus wasn't allowed to work his omnipotence for his own blessing. He was only for the blessing of humanity through the power of the Father. So Jesus in this situation, did Jesus, when the devil came to him and said, hey, why don't you turn those stones into bread? And Jesus goes, Jesus said, you know what? There is a text for that one. I know there's a text, right? Did he do that? Why didn't he do that? Because he had already stored up the word of God in his heart. He had already taken the word of God and he had, he had so put it in his mind that he quotes the book of Deuteronomy in the time of temptation, a specific test for that specific reason was stored in his head and he was prepared for the temptation. Three times there in Matthew chapter 4, the devil comes to him and tempts him. You know, the devil even tries to start throwing out scriptures. Oh, you can quote scriptures, I got some for you. And so he quotes scriptures and Jesus answered him three times. It is written, it is written, it is written. But you know what most people don't know? Is that while Jesus hung upon the cross, seven times he spoke, scholars call them the seven words of Jesus. That doesn't mean seven literal words, but seven sentences or statements of Jesus that, that he spoke while he hung upon the cross. And three times while Jesus hung upon the cross, he was quoting scripture. In the great time of trouble that Jesus went through on the cross, he had prepared and he had words of scripture that he was quoting as he was dying for the sins of humanity. As he was being wrenched away from the Father for our sins, Jesus was quoting texts of scripture that he probably learned at the knee of his mother. Jesus was quoting the word of God and in the same way God is calling us, think about this, Jesus knew, Jesus knew the prophecies. And because he knew the prophecies, he knew that a trial lie ahead in his life. Wow. And in preparation for the realization of a trial that lie ahead, what did Jesus do? He memorized scripture that prepared him for the trial that lie ahead. But those scriptures also, they were there for each day of his life to be a blessing to others, to help him in times of temptation, to you know, help out and encourage someone or preach the word of truth. They were there for all times, but he knew a time, a great time of trial lie ahead, and he prepared for that time. 
Could you think of a group of people who knew that there was a time of trial ahead? There's a group of people on this planet who were once called the people of the book. And they knew that a time would come that they knew it was called the great time of Jacob, Jacob's trouble. They knew the time was coming. They knew about it. Could they take Jesus' example into their own lives and store up the word of God? It won't just be a blessing for you now, 10 years now from now or 20 or whenever it happens or three years or three months or whatever. It won't just be a blessing for you then, but it will be a blessing for you every waking day of your life. Every day these texts will be a blessing to you. We're not just looking for some future torment or difficulty, but the reality is God has texts to bring you joy right now, and I would encourage you from my own experience. I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Turn with me to Matthew or Psalms 22. I'll, I just want to show you real quick, and then we'll close. Psalms 22, where did Jesus, where did Jesus quote from the Old Testament? Now, these are prophecies, obviously, but in a sense, I don't doubt for a second Jesus knew them. Probably every good Hebrew knew probably most of the Psalms by memory. But we're looking at Jesus and in Psalms. Psalms chapter 22. Psalms chapter 22. As Jesus was dying on the cross, these words passed forth from our Savior's lips. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The text goes on to say, why art thou so far from helping me? and from the words of my roaring. Jesus, as he hung upon the cross, he quotes the words of David. David. David is an example of Jesus. David was, the Bible says, he was a man after God's own heart. He, had, he was a man who meditated on God's word day and night, just like Jesus was after he gave his life to the Lord. You can see the next one in Psalm, I can't remember, is it 33? What, do I, what is it? Psalms 31, rather. Psalms 31. Psalms 31, and in Psalms 31, the word of God reads in verse 5, it says, Into thine hand do I, commend, I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Friends, God has a plan for your life. We don't know when the, when the great trials will come. And I'm not some alarmist that we need to freak out over. That's not what I'm talking about. But we can systematically plan for tomorrow. Because you know what? You're going to have trials tomorrow. Do you know that? You're going to have trials. And you can, you can prepare for tomorrow a little bit by storing up the Word of God today, right? And you're going to have other things. And listen, you're going to have blessed times, happy times, where there's text for those times, right? Texts of rejoicing right? A merry heart does good like a medicine, right? And so you, there's texts that are, bring joy to your heart. They bring brightness to your eyes. They bring hope to you, right? I mean, simple words about the sun, things like, you know, uh, what's it say? Light. Light. Ah, Lord, forgive me. I forget. Basically, but it says the, oh, how sweet a thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Simple, right? How sweet a thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. And so there are texts about even the, po the positive things. And so, you know, God has all kinds of texts for the good times, for the bad, all of them together. We know the future is coming. Jesus prepared. Are you going to prepare? Are you going to prepare with the Word of God? I'm going to give you, just, just because I'm not being very practical right now, I'm just telling you about it, and then we'll close. I want to give you one real quick thing, even though I'm taking a little bit long. This is, how we'll, this is the deal. I'll, sh I'll tell you how I memorize. I actually, has anybody ever heard of the FAST program? FAST? 
Most of us have now. Some of us have. I see like one or two head shaking. And that's okay if you don't. Fast. I'm not actually doing the fast program, but there's a website, an Adventist website called fast.st, like fast street, but it's fast.st. And they have Bible, they have these, you can actually do it in small groups. It's powerful stuff. Simple ways of like memorizing. And it's not just about memorizing. It's actually a small group dynamic on how to grow in your spiritual walk and how to have a, how to become like spiritual leaders and these kind of things. But it's really kind of through Bible memorization and so forth. You could do it on your own or you can do it in small groups. I'm not really doing the course, but they also have these little packets. There's not much to them. They're just simple little packets with little, you know, you don't have to do it this way. This is just the way I do it. You could get some, however you want to do it. But I'll tell you, this way works. I mean, they've been doing this, not fast, but I've been reading a book of a guy about 100 years ago. He was using this same technique, and it works like a champ. It's very simple, very simple. But this is the way it works. This is the way I do it. I, you can choose to memorize however many you want, a week or a month or whatever, uh, but this, this is a simple way to do it. Very simple, and I tried doing it on my own for a while, and it worked. I was able to do it on my own, but then once this simple technique came out, I tried that, and it worked better for me. A simple way to memorize the text is like this. So here's the text for today. This is my text, okay? Actually, it was the text for yesterday, but just since it's up here, I'll, this will be the text for today. O Israel, so this is, what I do is, I read the text out loud ten times. Out loud. Even the Hebrews, if you read the, uh, the rabbis, they talked about, I have a whole thing. I've studied out some of the history of this stuff. It's powerful how they used to do it, but we don't have time to go into that. But this is basically the way you do it. You read out loud, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Hosea 13, verse 9. Then I read it again out loud. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Hosea 13, 9. Always quoting where it's found. Hosea, you know, Hosea 13, 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Hosea 13, 9. O Israel, thou hast... You get the point, right? So you read it out loud ten times, and then once you've read it out loud ten times, immediately try to say it out loud ten times without looking at it, always quoting where it's from. It seems very redundant, and it is. But repetition what? Deepens impression. So then I can say, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Hosea 13, 9. And I say that ten times, and that's it for the day. And how long does it take to do that, that particular part? It probably takes you about three minutes. Three minutes, and you got that text memorized for the day. And if you're anything like me, if you don't go through it through the day, it, you don't have to, but I choose to. If you don't go through it again for the day, then the next day you say, what did I memorize yesterday? I don't remember. It was in Hosea I don't remember. And so then the next day, I go over it ten times. Okay, I got to look at it. Okay, it's so, O Israel, thou hast just, oh yeah, that's right. O Israel, thou hast destroyed this help, but in me is thine help. So I go over it ten times the second day. And then the next day, for the next 60 days, I go over the text one time every single day for the next 60 days. And by the time I'm done with that, I know it quite well. I can come to my head, Hosea 13, 9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. And so it sticks in my head. And the reality is, is when we try to do a spurt here and a spurt there, we just honestly unless you're really good with memorizing, which I'm not naturally, we lose them. We lose those texts. But I would encourage you, do something like this, and, and you could choose however many you want to memorize, but I would encourage you, you know, I mean, these things are like a buck a piece. It's not like, you know, it's some big financial investment. But you can get the text in there, and you can choose however, you know, you could choose. Many people choose to do, many people find it okay to do like two a week. Maybe you can only do one a week, or maybe even one a month, but I would really encourage you to at least do one a month. But, you know, it's so very simple. And every single day, make sure you quote where it's from. And every day, okay, the first two days, the first day you read it, you go over it 20 times. The first time you read it 20, 10 times, then you quote it 20 time, or 10 times, so it's 20. Next day, you quote it 10 times. And every day after that, you read it, you go over it one time. You quote it one time. But every day, every, the next 60 days, this is how I would do it. Say, Hosea 13, verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, 
but in me is thine help, Hosea 13.9. So you're quoting the text before and after. You're, you're saying where it's found, and you say, ah, oh, what's the big deal? It's not that big of a deal, but I can guarantee if you do that, the text where it's found will stick with you way better, way better than if you just try quoting the text or just, okay, you read that, it says Hosea 13.9, and then you just quote it out loud. It's way better if you're putting the beginning and the end. You put it together, you sandwiched it in with where it's found, and so in your mind, it's associated as being together. Very simple, but just from my own experience and mistakes and trials, it really, really, really works. In closing, thank you. Anybody ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? I'm going to share with you a story about it. Now, the reason Corey Ten Boom is kind of popular amongst Christians is because generally when we think of the concentration camps, we think of who being in there? Jews. Jews. But Corey Ten Boom was a Christian, a young lady. Actually, I don't know how young she was at the time, but she was, she had, no, she was actually a relatively young lady. Um, she was thrown into prison, the concentration camp, and she happened to be a Christian, and they were thrown into prison because she was caught, her family was caught protecting the Jews. They were hiding them in a room, the hiding place. They were hiding them in their house. And they never did actually find the Jews, if I remember correctly. But nevertheless, the point is this. Uh, she was cast into prison. She went through all kinds of trials, but before this, and she, she's popular because she was a Christian in the concentration camp, and she wrote books about her testimony. She, she became a min, um, uh, missionary. But nevertheless, she tells the story of when, she, after you know, all this was done, she, she was in Africa doing missionary work. And she was in a particular country where this, this country's government had just been ousted or something, and a new government had come into place, something like this. So this new government comes to play, and as they do, they call, they, there's a section of Christians in this area, and they call all those Christians to the government offices. They bring them to the government offices, and they executed them. The second day, they did the same thing. They called another group of Christians to the government office, and they executed them. The third day, they called another group, they came to the government office, and they were executed. It was clear that the government of this African country was systematically executing the Christians that were there. What ended up happening was this. The fourth day, Corrie Ten Boom was there and she was preaching in one of those little African church buildings. You know, no windows. It was at night. You know, just naked light bulbs with, with you know, bugs flying around the light bulbs up there. And, you know, one of those, not, not like a nice place here in the United States with heat or whatever, but it was hot and people are sweating and they're sitting there. And she's preaching to them. And as she's sharing the word of God with them, she noticed that nobody was even listening. Because they were looking around at each other, and as they were looking at each other, they were basically thinking something like this. They were saying, is, is he going to be the next guy that's going to be executed? Is she going to be the next one? Am I the next one that's going to die? And so they couldn't even pay attention to the sermon. And so then Corey, as a wise old woman, began to realize, I need to share something with them, something that applies to this situation. And Corey said, when I used to live back in the Netherlands, I was, as a child, I was terrified of becoming a martyr for Jesus. She said, I was terrified because I just thought, how could I ever, how could I ever go through those trials? I couldn't do that. And she said, I went and told my father, I said, Dad, I'm afraid. I, I, just, I just don't think I could become a martyr for Jesus. I don't think I could go through the tortures and the trials for Jesus. And her wise old Dutch father said to her, he said, Corey, when you're going to go on a trip, when you're going to go on a trip to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Do I give it to you three weeks before? And she said, no. You give it to me that day. 
And he said, that's exactly the way it is with God. God doesn't call you to be a martyr today. He calls you, when he calls you to be a martyr, he at that time gives you, he gives you the strength and the ability to be the martyr that very day. She shared this with those Africans there in the room and their countenances began to light up. Joy began to flood their hearts because they knew Jesus was there. And they began to just shout out and singing and they sang that old hymn, In the Sweet By and By, We Shall Meet on That Beautiful Shore. In the Sweet By and By. And their hearts were stirred and Corey discovered that later that week, about half that congregation was executed. And about a month later, the rest of the congregation was executed. And she writes these words in a letter. This is Corey Ten Boom in 1974 writing these words about this specific thing. She says, but I must tell you something. She said, I was so happy that the Lord used me to encourage these people. For unlike many of their leaders, I had the word of God. I had been to the Bible and discovered that Jesus said that he had not only overcome the world, but all those who remained faithful unto end, he would give a crown of life. She says, how can we get ready for the persecution? She says, first we need to feed on the word of God. Digest it. Make it a part of our being. She says, this will mean disciplined Bible study each day as we not only memorize long passages of Scripture, but put the principles to work in our lives. She said, how do we prepare for that time? How do we prepare for the trials ahead? She said, by spending time in the Word of God, by taking it, by ingesting it, and even memorizing passages of Scripture. I'm not, let's bow our heads for a moment. This is, this is a decision between you and the Lord. I want to make a challenge to you here. And this, this is between you and the Lord. If you don't feel the Lord's calling you, you don't have to raise your hand. But this is between you and the Lord. I want to make a challenge to you. That I want to challenge you. This is, a, this is not an easy challenge. This is not one of those challenges, you know, like, you know, I don't know, whatever. But this reality is this. I'm making a challenge. I want to challenge you for the next year. That's a long time, 52 weeks. I want to challenge you to memorize two verses per week for the next year. I know that's a long time. I don't generally make such difficult challenges, but I'll tell you, I believe each and every one of you, if you have a, you know, a true learning disability, the Lord knows your heart, and don't worry about it. Do the best you can. But for the rest of us, and even you with a learning disability might be able to do it. The Lord could give you strength, maybe. It's up to you. Don't worry about that if you really struggle. But for the rest of us, I want to make a challenge to you for the next year to memorize two verses per week. Is there anybody with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, is there anybody who would like to raise their hand and say, I want to accept the challenge to memorize two verses per week, per week for the next year? Is there anyone who wants to raise their hand? Is there one more who wants to raise their hand and say, I want to? I'm, I'm making the decision myself right here. Father, regardless, we know the, day, the time of trouble will come. 
And it doesn't come by just random chance or random timing. We know that it's when your people spread the message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. That when your people are faithful enough to go do your work, that it will come. But it will not come till that time. So it could be a long ways off if we do not do your will. But if we do your will, the time could be very short. But regardless of when that time comes, Father, we are asking that you would give us divine strength. For those of us who have raised our hands this afternoon, I'm praying, Father, that you would help us to store these texts up in our minds, that they would be as, as the texts that were inscribed on the walls of Babylon, rather than, a, rather than a warning of doom, that we would take heed to those texts, that they would be like words of burning fire in our minds and hearts, that, they would be, that you would be the one who would We'd hear that voice from your Holy Spirit speaking words behind our ears. That you would tell us when to turn to the right or the left and that we would know that this is the way that we are to walk in. Father, we've raised our hand. I pray that you give us strength. I pray that if we miss one week that we'd, we'd pick up again the next week. We wouldn't give up. That we would press forward and that these texts that we would memorize, we know that we just read simply, we were told that if, if we don't do these things, how can we expect to have an answer? How can we expect in the times to have the Holy Spirit bring them to remembrance? But Father, may you help us, especially people like me who've struggled with having a memory, Father, of, of memorizing texts. I pray that you would especially encourage them and that you'll do the same thing that's happened with my mind, that you would strengthen their minds to the point where they are indelibly written in their minds. They cannot be deleted from their minds. That they would change them. That we would make it through the trials that come tomorrow the next day, and the ones that lead us into eternity. And that we can take those trials as teachers, and we can learn from them and find joy in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.